Welcome to another Salvation by Grace midweek message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. You'll find us on the internet at salvationbygrace.org. We are currently studying the book of the prophet Jeremiah. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA, along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty. We are going to be in Jeremiah 25 tonight, but let's not start there. You can turn there if you would like. I'm going to begin in Daniel 9. Jeremiah 25 is a demonstration of something that we have discussed a lot here when looking at the various prophets. The fact that in order to understand Old Testament prophets, you have to understand that they oftentimes prophesy about things that are going to happen fairly immediately in their lifetime and then oftentimes leap over centuries and leap over millennia and suddenly start talking about things that are going to happen at the end of time. And that's going to happen here in Jeremiah 25. And Jeremiah 25 includes one of the most essential details in the entire Old Testament. It's mentioned several different times, several different places in the Old Testament. It is the declaration of how long the Babylonian captivity is going to be, that it is going to be a 70-year punishment from God. And because Jeremiah is the one who reveals that to the people of Israel, Daniel, who is actually in Babylon, who is actually part of the first deportation to Babylon that we talked about a little bit last week, the ninth chapter of Daniel says, in the first year of Darius, the king of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. And moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, our fathers and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame as it is in this day. To the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against thee. Open shame belongs to us, 
O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teaching, which he has set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed thy law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words, which he has spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us. And yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds, which he has done. But we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who has brought thy people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has made a name for thyself, as it is to this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all thy righteous acts, let now thine anger and thy wrath turn away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, for because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. For thy sake, O Lord, let thy face shine upon the desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline thine ear and hear, and open thine eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplication before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action for thine own sake, O my God. Do not delay because thy city and thy people, which are called by your name. Okay, so the next thing that happens there is Gabriel does respond to Daniel's prayer. You know the rest of the story. Daniel is interested in the 70 years that they are in captivity in Babylon. He is praying to God that God will keep his own word and return them back to Jerusalem after the 70 years is up. And he's even told us that this is during the time of Darius the Mede or Darius the Mede. So the 70 years have about run. And so he is praying that God will do what he said he's going to do. And then 70 weeks or 70 times 7 are revealed to Daniel in response to that 70 years in Babylon. Now the many things that I read in that chapter that Daniel confesses have actually happened are the very things that Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 25, is going to predict are going to happen. And the same way that Daniel gave us a date stamp so that we know when it was that he had that vision and that prayer, 
Jeremiah does the exact same thing, gives us a date stamp. We know that this is right around 604, 605 BC, so roughly 600 years before Christ. Chapter 25, verse 1 of Jeremiah says, The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So we know when that is. Which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, these 23 years, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. It's the very thing that Daniel later in the Babylonian captivity is able to look back and say, yeah, that's right. You kept sending us prophets. You kept sending us people who would warn us and we just wouldn't listen. Jeremiah in advance is saying, that's what's going to happen. I've been talking to you for 23 years and telling you what is going to come and you have refused to listen. The Lord has sent you all his servants, the prophets, says verse 4. Again and again, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. Daniel said, that's what we've done. We did not incline our ear. We did not listen. We would not look. We would not pay attention. So I just find it interesting, the contrast between Jeremiah and Daniel. Daniel looking toward the end of the 70 years. Jeremiah prophesying before the 70 years. They're both going to discuss the 70 years in Babylon Jeremiah in advance is saying, you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years because you haven't listened, you haven't paid attention to the prophets. And then Daniel looks back at the end of it and says, yep, you're right. We didn't listen and we didn't pay attention to the prophets. That's exactly right. Jeremiah says, you're guilty. Daniel on the other side says, we're still guilty. So Daniel's prayer is, well, then return us back to Jerusalem the way you said that you're going to. But obviously you can't do it for our sake because we're still rebellious. We're still not listening. So you're going to have to do it for your sake. You're going to have to do it for your name, for your reputation. It can't be because of us. So back to Jeremiah 25. The Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, again and again. But you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear, saying, Turn now every one from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds and dwell on the land which the Lord has given to you and to your forefathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and to worship them. And do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands and I will do you no harm. That was always the standard that God used. If you want to remain in the land of Jerusalem that I gave to your forefathers, if you want to stay in Israel, then you're going to follow my law. If you don't pay attention to what I've told you, if you don't follow my law, if you do chase after gods, I will drive you out of your land. So God is just being rational to these people and saying, I've told you what you need to do in order to stay in your land. You haven't done it. So I'm going to take you out of your land. And in a moment, we're going to see that in the Chronicles, 
which is the history of the kings of Judah at the end of the book of Chronicles, this exact same event, these same 70 years are going to be brought up and put in the context of God is letting the land enjoy its Sabbaths because the law also told Israel that every seventh day they had to rest from their servile work. They couldn't do anything on the Sabbath, but then every seventh year, they had to let the land just lay fallow. They couldn't farm the land. They couldn't plow the land. So that the land itself, the land that God himself chose and gave to Israel, that land was precious to God and also needed to enjoy its Sabbaths. And the people had to just trust that God would provide for them during that sixth year sufficient that they would get through the seventh year. And that took a tremendous amount of faith. But the people didn't have that kind of faith, so they kept plowing the land and working the land through the Sabbath years. Every seventh year was supposed to be a Sabbath year, but then every seven sevenths, every 49 years, the 50th year was also a Sabbath year, and it was the year of Jubilee when all the land would return back to the original apportionments that God laid out for all of Israel. So God is very interested in this particular land. It is where he has placed his name. It is where he has placed his people. And that is the land that he expects to enjoy its Sabbaths the same way that the people do. So chasing after other gods, not keeping the Sabbaths, not letting the land enjoy its Sabbaths, not listening to its prophets, chasing after its own sin rather than the righteousness and holiness that God laid out. All of that combined is the reason that God is going to take them into Babylon. So then verse 7 says, and yet you have not listened to me. Verse 6 says, I told you don't go after other gods so that you would serve them and worship them. And don't provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. And then I'll do you no harm. Yet for all that, you haven't listened to me, declares the Lord. In order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your own hands to your own destruction, your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about, and I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Remember when Jeremiah said this prophecy came to him. It was in the first year of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's just kind of getting his feet on the ground. And meanwhile, Jeremiah is saying he's going to become the great king of the Middle East. Not only Jerusalem and not only the land of Israel, but all the surrounding nations. I'm going to give them all into his hand. And so God refers to him as the king of Babylon, my servant, and names him by name, Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. Now, granted, during Nebuchadnezzar's life, according to the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar does have that moment where he does go nuts and his hair grows out and his nails grow out and he kind of goes insane for a while. And when his sanity is restored to him, he comes to the conclusion that Yahweh, the God of heaven, 
is the ruler of heaven and earth and that all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing and that nobody can stop his hand. Nobody can ask him what he's doing. Yes, he does have that moment of understanding whose hand he's in. But at the beginning of his kingship, as he's just on the rise there in Babylon, he's not a believer in Yahweh. He's an enemy of Israel. He's an enemy of all righteousness and the worship of Yahweh. And yet God refers to him as my servant. Why? Because God in his sovereignty is going to use Nebuchadnezzar to punish his people and punish the surrounding nations. And therefore Nebuchadnezzar, though he doesn't know it, though he's not trying to do it, though he doesn't want to do it, is going to do exactly what God said he's going to do because in the end, That's my servant. He's going to do exactly what I determined he's going to do. So I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about, and I will utterly destroy them. And I will make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstone and the light of the lamp. And this whole land shall be a desolation and a horror. And these nations, plural, shall serve the king of Babylon 70 Years. Well, there it is. He's now put a time stamp on it. It's going to be a 70-year service where Israel is going to be captive to Babylon. Now, that is recorded as actually happening. Take a look at the end of the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 36. So it's the very end of 2 Chronicles. Or you can go to the book of Ezra and turn back one page, and you'll be in the right place. 2 Chronicles 36. Let's start reading at, well, verse 11. Zedekiah was 21 years old. You should know these names by now. Are these names of these last kings becoming more familiar to you? Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke for the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear allegiance by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Furthermore, all the officials of the priests and the people were very unfaithful following all the abominations of the nations around them. And they defiled the house of the Lord, which he had sanctified in Jerusalem. And the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again by his messengers, by his prophets, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, 
who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm. He gave them all, God gave them all, into his hand. And all the articles of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his officials, he brought them all to Babylon. And then he burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned down all its fortified buildings with fire and destroyed all its valuable articles. And those who had escaped the sword, he carried away to Babylon and they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. So there's that 70 years again. What Jeremiah said actually happened. You'll notice that even in the history of the Chronicles, these things that Jeremiah predicted actually occurred. They played out exactly as Jeremiah said, which is why here at the end of the Chronicles, the writer can say, yep, just like Jeremiah said, name Jeremiah by name. Yep, everything he said absolutely happened right up to the 70 years. And that all happened to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah so that the land could lay fallow for 70 years and could enjoy its Sabbaths, which the people of God, the Israelites, did not give the land. So then God, out of love and compassion for the land itself, took the people out of the land so that the land could rest. It's a pretty remarkable God who is so sovereign that he can even have affection for the land where he has placed his name. And so that all happened for 70 years. And then what we read in the book of Daniel was that Daniel's vision that the 70 years were coming to a close happened while the Medo-Persians were in control in Babylon. Remember that after Babylon was used by God to punish Israel, God then punished Babylon, which he's going to say again in Jeremiah 25. He's going to punish Babylon, and the way he did that was by bringing the Medo-Persians on them while they were busy celebrating, utilizing some of the utensils that they had taken out of the temple of God, which had been consecrated to God, which could only be used for God's service. They were using it for their big Bacchanalia feast. Meanwhile, the Medo-Persians were damming up the river that went up under the wall and were sneaking into the walls of Babylon, and that night Babylon fell. Just like Jeremiah says is going to happen. And so the writer of the Chronicles continues in verse 22, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah, Whoever there is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up 
apparently go up to Jerusalem and rebuild his temple. So I said all that. We looked at all that to say Jeremiah has said, as we saw last week and as we're going to continue to see, there is this destruction. There's the 70 years. They're going to be taken into Babylon. The walls of Jerusalem are going to fall. The temple itself is going to be burned with fire, but it's not going to stay that way. God is also going to restore all those things, and he accomplishes all of that through kings who don't even know him. When God, through Isaiah, talks about Cyrus 150 years before Cyrus even is king, he names them by name and says that's the king that's going to let the children of Israel go back and rebuild the temple. And So none of this is happening by mistake. God is moving nations, moving kings in order to accomplish his ultimate goal, his ultimate will. Let's apply that. So far, are you with me? Yes. I know I'm talking fast. I'm just trying to get through this all tonight. Let's apply that for a moment. The world's nutty right now from a human perspective. The kings of the earth are doing whatever the kings of the earth want to do, and they have brand new tools to do it with. And so it seems like times are more dangerous than they have ever been, but times have always been dangerous because any time that human beings try to govern themselves, it goes badly for them. The good news is, despite the bad kings who have ever ruled, despite the crazy people like Nebuchadnezzar, despite the Cyrus the Mede, despite Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian, despite the craziness of the kings of the world, despite the fact that we have had Pol Pots and Hitlers and crazy people just even in our own age, Despite those people, they are all under the hand of an absolutely sovereign God, right down to the Biden administration at this very moment. We all would like to think that the next person that we elect, the next person we choose, they're going to fix it. But human history has a long, long history of people who didn't fix it. Instead, what you have is a long list of people who did what they wanted to do And rebellion against God is just built into human governance. That's just the way it works. But they are still under the hand of a sovereign God who is accomplishing his purpose through them and despite them. There's nothing any of them can do to change the outcome of human history, which is Jesus Christ is going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem, ruling all the nations with a rod of iron. That's going to happen regardless of what any politician in the whole wide world thinks. There is no king, there is no governor, there is nobody who can stop the plan of God. You see it with Cyrus. You see it with the multiple kings of Jerusalem and Israel. And you see it with Nebuchadnezzar, who God calls my servant. And he predicts what's going to happen, and then it happens. Now, that's important to hold on to as we continue through Jeremiah 25, because the next part of Jeremiah 25 is going to be God saying, and then I'm going to judge Babylon for what they've done. Okay, so that actually happened. The judgment of Babylon happened. The deliverance of Israel into Babylon happened. That's human history. We know that. We have all the evidence of it. We know that Israel was given the land when they were brought out of Egypt And they were given that land in the Middle East there. That actually happened. But by the time we get to the end of this chapter, 
There's stuff that hasn't happened yet. So based on the evidence of all the stuff in this chapter that was predicted in advance, I'm going to keep stressing that, predicted in advance and then did happen, I have to conclude that the rest of it, which hasn't happened yet, is going to happen. And can't nobody, can't no king, can't no ruler, can't no human stop it. It's going to happen because a sovereign Christ is going to come back with a rod of iron and he's going to mop up this world and establish his own kingdom and no one can change that. You got my point so far? Got it. You hanging with me? Yep. Okay, good. Jeremiah 25, verse 12. Then it will be when 70 years are completed. I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the Chaldeans, declares the Lord for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans. And I will make it an everlasting desolation. I know we mentioned this many months ago, but there is a YouTube video that was very interesting of an archaeologist who went over to where Babylon would have been, and, and he measured it all out and you know, gave you some idea of how big it would be. And it's all desert right now. It is, in fact, full of jackals and dogs. It is exactly like the Bible describes it. So, again, you see in human history the fulfillment of exactly what Jeremiah is saying here, that for 70 years Babylon's going to be great, splendor, terrific, then they're going to fall to the Medo-Persians. And just about the time the Medo-Persians think they're something, God's going to bring in Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great, according to best history and legend, died outside the walls of Babylon. These days, Babylon doesn't exist. Then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. And I will bring upon that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves of them, even them, even the Babylonians, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and according to the work of their hands. Isn't that interesting and kind of reassuring that God said that he's going to punish Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and all that land because they were evil, because of everything they did in their rebellion against God, and yet God would say, my servant. That's good to know that God can still pick and choose even among the fact that there are no good choices. Anybody here think they're a good choice? Because I'm glad God picks among the bad choices. So, verse 14. For many nations and great kings will make slaves of them, even them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and according to the work of their hands. For thus the Lord the God of Israel says to me, take this cup of the wine of wrath from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. And they shall drink 
and stagger and go mad because of the sword that I will send among them. And then I took the cup from the Lord's hand and I made all the nations drink to whom the Lord sent me. Starting at Jerusalem, Jerusalem and the cities of Judah and its kings and its princes to make them a ruin, a horror, a hissing and a curse as it is this day. So Jeremiah, as he's writing, says that this punishment from God is happening at that moment as he is delivering them into Babylon. But that's not the end of it. God is going to continue that curse. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his servants, his princes, and all his people, and all the foreign people, and all the kings of the land of Uz, all the kings of the land of the Philistines, even Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the remnant of Ashdod, Edom, Moab, and the sons of Ammon, and all the kings of Tyre, all the kings of Sidon, and the kings of the coastlands, which are beyond the sea, and Dedan, and Tema, and Booz, who cut the corners of their hair, and all the kings of Arabia, and all the kings of the foreign people who dwell in the desert, and all the kings of Zimri, and the kings of Elam, and all the kings of Media, and all the kings of the north, near and far, one with another, and all the kingdoms of the earth which are upon the face of the ground, and the king of Shishak shall drink after them. Okay, so basically that described all the kingdoms there in the Middle East surrounding Judah. All of them fell to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And yet at the end of the great conquering of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, he then says the kings of the north and all of them are even going to drink of the wrath of God. All the kings of the north, near and far, one after another, and all the kingdoms of the earth, which shall fall on the ground, and the king of Shishak shall drink after them. Okay, so Shishak, that's a really, really interesting thing. So we're going to talk about that for a moment. You may have noticed that I've written two Hebrew words up here on the board in order to demonstrate something to you. Who or what is Shishak? You don't, this is a, a brand new thing. Shishak shows up here. So most scholars believe that this word is a cryptogram. A cryptogram, which was used a lot during the wars, cryptogram is just a simple substitution of letters in order to write stuff in a code. So most Bible commentators think that's is some kind of code, even in the NASB you will see a note that says that Shishak is a, uh, a cryptic way of saying Babylon. And here's the way that would work. Do you know the word atbash? An atbash is a form of a cryptogram. It's a code in which the letters of the name are counted from the end of the alphabet and then are substituted for the letters counted from the beginning. So the letter A would be the first word or the first letter in our alphabet. So you would use Z, because that's the first letter from the end of the alphabet. And you would start transposing letters that way. So then if you were to do that, words like Abby as an atbash would become Z-Y-Y-B. 
because each of those letters is equal distance from the front and the back of the alphabet. If that's the case, then Shishak, which is this word right here, Shishak becomes a Hebrew adbash for the consonants in this word. This word, BVB, is Babel, the word for Babylon. And so Shishak and Babylon just happen to be an exact atbash of each other. And that is why most commentators say that Shishak, which doesn't seem to be a place, we can't identify it as a geographic region, it seems to be a code for Babylon. Now, why did Jeremiah at that point decide to use a cryptogram for the word Babylon? Uh, nobody knows. No one knows why this happened. It just happens to exist. So even though it's unclear why it's written in this strange code, still that seems to be the best explanation of the word Shishak that turns up there. And if that is a fact, Shishak turns up at the end of this list of all the nations that are going to drink the cup of God's wrath. And finally, the very last one to drink it is Babylon, is Shishak. So verse 27, and you will say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink, be drunk, vomit, fall down, and rise no more because of the sword which I will send among you. And it will be if they refuse to take the cup from your hand and drink, then you will say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, you shall surely drink, for behold, I am beginning to work calamity in this city, which is called by my name, that's Jerusalem, and then shall you be completely free from punishment? You will not be free from punishment, for I am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, declares the Lord of hosts. Therefore, you shall prophesy against them all these words, and you shall say to them, the Lord will roar from on high. Okay, now notice the transition that just took place. Jeremiah started by saying, I'm going to punish all the nations that surround Israel because Israel has been at war with them and had difficulty with them continually. So they are all going to fall under the hand of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. But ultimately, once God starts pouring out his wrath, all the nations and all the inhabitants of the earth are going to end up drinking from that cup of wrath. And then starting at verse 30, Jeremiah becomes essentially poetic and starts describing this lion who's going to roar, which is really interesting language considering that we know the book of Revelation and we know that this final punishment is going to be poured out by Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So this lion language is really interesting and very consistent, almost like God knows what he's talking about. Therefore, you shall prophesy against them all these words, and you shall say, and now he's going to say things that simply have not happened yet. But let me stress, the first two-thirds of this chapter, did they happen? Mm -hmm. Yep. Nebuchadnezzar did become king. The Babylonians did rule that portion of the Middle East. 
All the nations around Israel did fall under his hand, even down to Egypt. And then he was destroyed and he was crushed. And then the Jews did get to go back and rebuild their temple. All of this occurred. And now you're going to get into stuff that hasn't occurred yet. But based on the evidence of the first two-thirds of this chapter having actually occurred in time and history, it is impossible for me to conclude that God meant for everything in the first two-thirds to happen, but that last third, that's a jump ball. No, he intends to do everything in this chapter and has already demonstrated in time and history that he's actively doing everything Jeremiah has said. And Daniel verified it, everything Jeremiah said. And the writer of the Chronicles validated Jeremiah, and they both named him by name and said, everything Jeremiah said happened. So I have to conclude that this is going to happen. The Lord, like a lion, is going to roar on high and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He will roar mightily against his fold, against his pasture, his flock. And he will shout like those who tread. And tread is the last word there. The the word treading the grapes is added by translators. Uh, This is the idea that we even sing about in the battle hymn of the Republic. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He has trampled out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. So this is not a good thing. This isn't a shout of people out there making wine. This is people trampling out the wrath of God against all the inhabitants of the earth. He's not just talking Jerusalem anymore. It's talking about all the people of the earth. A clamor has come to the very end of the earth. So we're not just talking about the Middle East. We're not just talking about Babylon. A clamor has come to the end of the earth because the Lord has a controversy with the nations of the earth. He is entering into judgment with all flesh. As for the wicked... He has given them to the sword. Notice the language that Jeremiah is using. All the flesh, all the nations, all the earth. He's making sure you understand that this is more expansive than just Jerusalem. Verse 32. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Behold, evil, trouble, raw is going forth from nation to nation. And a great storm is being stirred up from the remotest parts of the earth. And those slain by the Lord on that day shall be from one end of the earth to the other. And they shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall be like dung on the face of the ground. Wail, you shepherds. Remember earlier in Jeremiah when he was talking against the kings of Israel, he referred to them as the shepherds. So here he is talking to the kings of the earth, the leaders of this world. Wail, you shepherds, and cry. And wallow in ashes, you masters of the flock. For the days of your slaughter and your dispersions have come. And you shall fall like a choice vessel. Flight 
shall perish from the shepherds. In other words, you're not going to get away from this. There's no escape. And escape has fled away from the masters of the flock. Hear the sound of the cry of the shepherds and the wailing of the masters of the flock, for the Lord is destroying their pasture. And the peaceful folds are made silent because of the fierce anger of the Lord. It started with shouting. It's going to end with the silence of God's wrath as everybody is falling under his judgment. He has left his hiding place again like a lion. For their land has become a horror because of the fierceness of the oppressing sword and because of his fierce anger. Actually, sword there is added by the NASB translators. What it actually says in the Hebrew would be the fierceness of the oppressor. God, in that case, would be the oppressor. He is the one who is oppressing the people of earth through his fierce anger. So what is Jeremiah saying? Jeremiah is using the predictions against Jerusalem and the fact that they're going to be sent into the Babylonian captivity because of their rejection of God, because of their chasing after foreign gods, because of their not following after God's standards of righteousness and behavior, and that God looks at the whole rest of the world and sees that they are equally, if not more, guilty. And so he says, look, I'm doing this to my own people. These are my chosen people. And you think you're going to escape my wrath? If I would do this to the people I've revealed myself to, imagine what I'm going to do to you. And so Jeremiah starts at Israel is under punishment. Jerusalem is under punishment. But then the nations around Jerusalem are equally going to be under punishment. And that happened during the time of Nebuchadnezzar and the Medo-Persians and Alexander the Great and Rome. The Middle East went through all of those oppressions because God brought about all those various kings and nations for the purpose of punishing his people first, correcting his people, and then the nations that surround the land that belongs exclusively to him, that land that he loves and makes sure it keeps its Sabbaths and that it is at rest. That land that is so precious to him and all the people around that land all fall under the hand of a, of a judgment from God because of his righteous holiness and human governance that is just not righteous and holy Ultimately, then, when Christ comes back with his rod of iron, we read that he's going to do war and destroy the kings of the earth. And he's going to establish his kingdom that's never going to end because he is king of kings and lord of lords. So I think Jeremiah is talking about the same thing that Revelation is talking about. That ultimately God is going to correct this world punish this world, demonstrate to this world that just because they've been allowed to get away with what they've been able to get away with for these many millennia, they don't get away with it forever. And God is one day going to establish his own righteousness and one wonderful glorious day, 
holiness to the Lord is going to be written on the pots and pans and the reins and bridles of the horses. One day the knowledge of God is going to sweep over the planet like the seas that cover the earth. One day God is going to reveal himself and part of that revelation of himself is just judgment to demonstrate who he is and what he's like and then grace and kindness and calling to his own people and the establishment of an everlasting kingdom. And that's all in Jeremiah 25. Got it? I know there was a whole bunch of stuff for one night, but but Jeremiah 25 is just jam-packed with all that stuff. Next week, we're going to see how much the people loved hearing that stuff. Oh, they just enjoyed it so very much. But that'll be next week, so hope you come back to hear that. listening to this week's Salvation by Grace midweek message. We encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org for books, Q&As, and our ever-expanding archive of audio sermons. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.